this week, we're just going to knock out all of chapter 13. We're in Genesis 13 tonight. And uh, I think it might be quick, so we may get out early. But now that I said that, we'll probably go longer than we've ever gone. We'll probably be here till nine o'clock. Uh, but so open your scriptures to Genesis 13 and we will see what happens. You guys remember we unpacked 12 and um, if you missed last week, just unpacking uh, Genesis 12 and Abram and Sarai and, and Lot's not mentioned, but he's with them. They, they go, there's a famine in the land. They go to Egypt and then. Uh, Abram, it's a whole story of saying that, say that you're my sister to Sarai. And uh, the overarching story in that, as we unpacked, is that it's pointing forward to Exodus, that it was giving the, the story of, in, in Sarai, she embodied all the children of Israel. And uh, just the story we saw of Abraham or Abram having faith and then when they go to Egypt, he really gives up on all the promises of the Lord. And it's not his faithfulness that keeps the promise of the Lord true, but it's the faithfulness of God. And so it was God throwing down the gauntlet with Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh and kings of that day viewed themselves as gods, and they also had a pantheon of gods in Egypt that they worship. So it was God uh, saying, this Pharaoh that is in, enslaving uh, Sarai, who is embodying the, the people of Israel, and this whole plan of um, Abram having descendants as many as the sand or the stars. This is all being thwarted, and he's given over. He hasn't trusted the Lord in his promise, and Abram's given it over. And thank the Lord that it's not our salvation is not based on our faithfulness, but that's what we impact last week, that it's the faithfulness of God. And so we see the faithfulness of God, throw down the gauntlet, show Pharaoh that he's not the biggest God in town, all the pantheon of gods that they serve. And again, pointing to the Exodus, he frees Sarah through plagues that he sends. And then we see them leave Exodus now with more than they showed up with. They give him a ton of stuff, so they, they leave with, with all this wealth. And that's where we're picking up here. And now Lot is mentioned. We kind of, it flips here. So if you're here last week in, in 12, we have a story of Abram and Sarai. And Lot's not mentioned through that, the Lot's with them. So now we're going to actually see Sarai not mentioned. And we're going to see Abram and his uh, a relationship and some struggle with him and his nephew Lot. And uh, we try to put ourselves in the, in the place that Abram was and learn some stuff from this, learn some stuff from him as a human being who's navigating life, and then also learn about uh, our Heavenly Father who's, um, who's given us identity. And, and I truly believe the, Lord, the more that we learn of the Lord, uh, the more we learn of our true self and who we've been designed to be because we're designed to image him. And so therefore, uh, we can learn more of ourselves and, and walk in our daily lives more in, in step with how he's designed us. So we're going to read through, it shouldn't take long, but we're going to read through all of chapter 13. So would you stand with me as we read through it? Genesis 13, chapter 1, or verse 1. 
So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between our herdsmen, your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the gardens of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against God, against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this day. And, and Lord, we thank you for this day specifically, where it's, it's a day where we get together with our brothers and sisters as, as you desire us to. And Lord, uh, just a day, all, all of our days, our desires to be centered around you. But Lord, this day just seems it's so visible that we are centered around worship and diving into your word together. Uh, for many of us, the second time today of, of being in this building and, and reading through scripture and unpacking it. Um, and we thank you for it, Lord, uh, for our brothers and sisters, for the encouragement that we can be to each other um, as we live out this life of reflecting you, of living under your kingdom and pointing people to you, our, our good king. Uh, would you guide us tonight as we study your word? Would we study it faithfully? Um, Holy Spirit, would you speak through me, but would you speak to all of our hearts as I need to hear this uh, just as much as anybody else? Um, and Lord, would we leave here with um, both having learned things uh, in our minds, would you stretch our minds, and Lord, would you ignite our hearts at the same time, uh, Lord, that our entirety, our soul, um, would be ignited for you running into this upcoming week, and all the, the areas, specific areas that you have for us as, as your people. Uh, we love you and praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. So I just unpacked what he had done in, in chapter 12. And here we have Abram, Sarai, and their nephew Lot uh, traveling again. And they, 
they land right back where they were in chapter 12, verse 8. So they're between Bethel and, and Ai. And one interesting thing, as I was reading through commentaries, um, well, two interesting things reading through commentaries on this chapter. Uh, it's funny, we've done multiple genealogies now on Sunday nights. And I don't know about you, but my thought going into genealogies, I would probably bet the commentary would be, um, I wouldn't think the commentaries and how much information in the genealogies was, would be as much as it has been. Because um, I, I don't think I've ever personally dug into the genealogies, genealogies as much as I have now because I have to not just know it for me, but I have to be able to teach it. I have to like put those thoughts out into words and hopefully everybody leaves here going like that made some kind of sense. Right. So I've been really impressed. Like, wow, there's so much. And then it was really interesting going to this chapter and reading through some commentaries and it's very little. It's almost like what I would expect. It's, it's very like, well, this is, this is the story and it's kind of like read it. And that's what happened. And let's move on. And we're going to see Sodom and Gomorrah moving forward. Uh, And that was actually a breath of fresh air for me um, because I'm predisposed. I like to to get into like the stuff that's really challenging. Um, But for this one, for me, it was, it's, uh, it reiterated or reestablished in me that this Sunday nights for me is, is begins with a Bible study for myself. And so it was like, uh, before I ever read commentaries, I spend time with the Lord and I ask the Lord, show me what you would want to show me, like change me. And I believe a life changed, then, then I own that thing. And a life change is, is the best reflection of the Lord. And so with this one, with, with very little to go off commentaries, it was awesome to be like, Lord, like, I got nothing besides reading this chapter. What do you, what do you want to say to me? Um, but there was one cool thing that somebody pointed out that I don't know if I would have caught is that before Egypt of Abram and Sarai going to Egypt, we have this theme of Abram calling on the name of the Lord. And that's a theme that's been running through Genesis um, as we've been pointing to like this line of Seth running through and Abram calls upon the name of the Lord and he builds an altar. And we see that again here. And uh, one of these authors pointed out that it's totally absent in the story of Abram and Egypt. And I thought it was so fitting um, not to reteach that sermon, but that was our point uh, last week was that Abram was, he's not a perfect man. He's, it's like Noah. And I reiterate it, the, the goal of studying these scriptures and studying these men is not to say, be a better person because these guys were perfect and it was these perfect guys that the Lord chose. The last few weeks I've said that we are not called because we are qualified. We are qualified because we are called. And these guys were not perfect. These guys, the Lord called them and they believed the Lord and that was accounted to them as righteousness, believing the Lord. And they have failures throughout. These are regular people that are stumbling along their way. And so we see this contrast of Abram calling on the name of the Lord. And then he gets to Egypt where it's Pharaoh's like the biggest empire. 
in the known world of that time, and he's considered a god, and there's this pantheon of gods. And Abram makes decisions that point out his hierarchy in his mind is that God is not as big as these gods that I'm encountering right now, so I need to navigate my own life. And hey, you need to tell me, my sister, and forget about this whole promised land, and we're going to have a lot of descendants. We, I just don't want to die. And so he, he succumbs to the fear of Pharaoh, of these gods in, in this life, and there's no, he's calling upon the name of the Lord, building an altar to the Lord. And so now we see them traveling again, and he's going back to, between Bethel and Ai, and he's uh, calling on the name of the Lord in that place where he had built an altar for the Lord. And so we almost see this returning when we, we view it kind of further back and not week to week as we've been going through it we see this returning of Abram to seeing the faithfulness of the Lord and probably seeing the faithfulness of the Lord in the midst of his faithlessness. You see that? Where uh, we can experience it in our lives, where we know we blew it and still we see God being faithful and it just points to the covenant promise that we have with him, that this isn't a works-based religion, but it's a covenant that he's made with, him, with us that he says, I'm going to keep this covenant and it's going to be based on my love for you, not your actions. It's not a consumer relationship, but this is a covenant relationship. And so they're, they're on the move. They land back uh, where, they, where they were. Um, and then there's, we go into this short little story of this trouble in paradise between Abram and his nephew Lot. And there's not enough space. They have a lot of things at this point. There's not enough space for them. And so the herdsmen are getting in disputes. And Abram handles it really interestingly. And I don't think it's by mistake that he handles it the way he does and why it's in scripture. And I think I am confident there's stuff that we can take out of this of of how Abram handles the situation with his nephew Lot. And it's, um, as I unpacked, I think it was last week and the week before, that we're going to see Abram on this faith journey, that his faith uh, is stretched. And um, I think it was two weeks ago, one of our points was that um, a faith that is tried is a, uh, is a perfecting faith, that our faith needs to be stretched. And that's uncomfortable when we get in situations where we have to really trust if we didn't have to, if we didn't get in those places, we'd be comfortable all the time, but our faith wouldn't be stretched. And so we're seeing Abram go through these, these moments of his, his faith muscle being worked out, and we're seeing him, we're going to see him grow uh, through his story. And so here, um, I really think it's, it's this first step of faith where Abram knows the call of the Lord of where they're supposed to be, where they're supposed to be landing. And he, he gives it up to Lot, right? He says, all right, if you go left, I'll go right. And if you go right, I'll go left. And he, and he leaves this up to, to Lot. And I don't know that I don't, the scripture doesn't give a detailed description of the intent of Abram's heart. And so you can view it in a lot of different ways. And so I don't want to say uh, that this is what scripture says, but as I'm thinking of it and putting, trying to put myself in that position, is it a testing of the promise? 
Is it a humility or is it a confidence in the promise of that? Look, pick anywhere, go anywhere. Cause God's told me something. And so I know this is going to happen. I just tried to abandon that plan in Egypt and the Lord intervened miraculously with, with plague. So I trust him just you pick, I'll go the other way and the Lord's going to work it out. Uh, it seems to me that way that that's, that's what's happening here because he's back. This is coming on the heels of he's back in this place where he's calling on the name of the Lord at this place where he's built an altar to the Lord. And I believe that's uh, like a flagpost for us to see that, that Abram is now trusting in the Lord and now he has this conflict and there's a confidence in him of what the Lord has promised him, what he's supposed to be doing. And so there's a conflict and he lays it out to Lot. And then here we see Lot... What does Lot go after? He sees the beauty. He sees the nice land. And I'll be honest, every time that I've read this scripture, I always think like, oh, I mean, he's smart. Like, come on. Like somebody says like, here, choose anything. And like, here's like the beautiful land. It, it, it uh, mentions Egypt, which is like massive world power at that time. It also mentions the garden. It's like, well, yeah, I want to go there, Uncle Abram. So I'm going to go there. Um, But I started to, as I was studying, I was thinking through in all this journey. So remember, this started in Ur. Remember, we learned in Acts 7 that the Lord called Abram out of Ur. And then they land at Haran where his father Terah died. And then in Genesis, we see that the Lord called him again at that point in Haran to go to Canaan. And so they've been on this journey. These aren't, they're not teleporting, although that's how it happens for us when we read. It's like they're here and now they're here and now they're here and now they're here and they're moving all over the place. These guys are walking everywhere. And so you imagine they talk a lot and I wonder Lot has to be aware of where Abram is leading the family. And then I'm curious, is Lot doing, is Lot losing faith in that there's this conflict and uncle Abram has been called by the Lord and we've been walking all over the place and we're supposed to land in Canaan and we almost lost it all in Egypt. And now we're back here and he's, and we have this conflict. There's other people living at the land at the time. So it says like the land can't support Lot and Abram, but there's other people living there as well. So can the, can the land not support them or can the land not support the ego of their herdsmen? to where there's other people living there, but these two, it's this family. There's a struggle here. And so I, I wonder if it's, in a way, this is even Lot giving up on the direction, the calling uh, that Abram is pursuing. And he's not on board with it, and he sees something pretty. He sees something that makes more sense to him. He's like, I can see that. Your plan of, of what we're going after, I love you but I can see that and that makes sense. 
and there's trouble here. We're getting in, into fights, so I'm going to go there. And so I think it's a stretching of, of Abram's faith as well. When you think about it, what's the promise that keeps coming up? And it's going to come up at the end of this chapter in encouragement to him. But what's the promise that keeps the Lord keeps handing down to Abram? Right. And right. Children, right? So again, this is me trying to just place myself in this situation and, and, and see what's happening here that Abram has no kids at this moment, right? And he's been traveling with his brother's son for a long time. I don't know about you, but me in that situation, that son starts to become like, that's my boy. That's my brother's kid. Like, that's my guy. We're doing this together. And I can even see that becoming, in times of doubt, hey, maybe this is what the Lord means, that, like, he's not my, like, kid kid, but he's been with us. And so then it's this giving up of, well, my brother's son, who's been with us, who's been traveling with us now, now he's gone. And I can see it being a, a stretching of the faith of Abram has no kids still. And we know the end of the story again, like as I unpacked with Noah, we know how these stories end up. And so it's easy for us to process these, these moments when we can see the end. We already are thinking of the end as we're reading it. But if you read it and just imagine the rest of your Bible blank at that moment, it's these take on heavy meanings of, oh man, like now he's gone. And a realization, it doesn't even have to be your kid. Have you ever been on, on board with doing something on like a vision of this is what I want to do. And you have people with you. And then all of a sudden in that vision, people start, start peeling off. You just start losing faith in the thing that you're doing, right? Because all of a sudden people are peeling away from you. You're like, well, okay, what happened? And am I still doing this? And I think we all experience that. And now Abram is, is experiencing that. And he's this sole family on this earth calling on the name of the Lord and experiencing these trials. And again, I see the Lord stretching, stretching his faith here. And I think the, the easy takeaway in this, now looking forward, we see the tragedy and the struggle that Lot encounters as he pursues the thing that looks pretty. I wonder, in my, I wonder if Lot would have consulted with the Lord. You don't see it here in scripture. It's not spelled out. But when Abram gives this option, if Lot would have consulted with the Lord, you wonder what the Lord would have told him. But it was just, I see that, and that's where I'm going. And he goes. And so often, in our own lives, super easy takeaway in this, and not going to blow anybody's minds with this nugget of insight, is that so many times the prettiest things that we see in life, the things that look like 
They're just laced with success. They have all the trappings of success. Sometimes those are the last place we need to go, that that is the trap. And it's the humble beginnings. It's the small things where we can pour ourselves into, put our time into. And the only way we know that, even as I say this, I don't want to then shift our eyes from, okay, just don't go after like the pretty things, go after the small and humble things. It's the point is we're ill-equipped to make these decisions on our own. The point is that we can't see five minutes in front of our face. And so then to expect that we're by just our initial thought of something that we're going to know where that road takes us is silly and it's arrogant of us. So humble ourselves and ask the Lord, Hey, what would you have me do? Just simply can't judge things by, uh, don't judge by the book by its cover. Uh, we can't, we cannot see, uh, the future. We can't see that far. I remember as a kid, um, so I grew up in our, our family church. Um, grandfather was, if you haven't heard this, my grandfather was the pastor. My dad was literally everything else. He was the, the worship leader, the administrator, the youth pastor. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. My grandma was the organ player, piano player. I was like at nine, I was the drummer. And then at like 11 or 12, I was the bass player. And then at 13, I was a guitar player. And then that one stuck. Uh, but just family thing, right? So we did everything. So it's a Sunday afternoon. We had, like we have here, we had uh, two morning services and then we had an evening service at six o'clock. And it's in Santa Clarita in New Hall. And it's like, there's a rough part of New Hall and it's right there. Um, and so one day at the end of our service, man, as a kid, I don't know how old it was. I was pretty, I was really young, but I just, in my mind, it was thousands of motorcycles. Um, but going down main street, which the church was on just so many motorcycles. And then right behind our church, there was an alley. And then we had a separate little room that we bought. That was our youth group. And then it was a hair salon and then a bar called the rendezvous. And the rendezvous was like this uh, stop for bikers. And uh, it was normal to see maybe like a couple dozen bikers stop and stop at this rendezvous bar or whatever. So we get out of service and there are motorcycles everywhere. As a kid, it was just insane to see just motorcycles literally everywhere and rough looking guys, not like gentlemen out for a, a ride with their buddies, like just a rough, rough, rough looking group. And so my dad and I, he would, I just would stay with my dad all day. And we were in charge of locking up the entire church. And my dad was a police officer and we had a lot of elderly people in our church. So my dad was walking a lot of the ladies to their cars. And I was just like staying right next to my dad's leg and just like, doing that. Like I, I wish you guys knew my dad because he's so awesome. But, uh, so I'm just following my dad around and he's just, he was in that mode. It's like, get business done, get business done. So I'm sticking next to his leg. I don't talk. I don't ask questions. It's just like, I wait for orders and he's doing his thing. Like he, the greatest thing. And I hope I get this from him. He was as tough as nails, 
but he was tender as could be. And so he's just like gently just like walking these old ladies to their cars and so sweet. But I know inside of him, like he's ready at a moment's notice if somebody like comes around and messes with anybody to like deck them and put them in cuffs. Like he's just ready to flip that switch. And one of the ladies gets like literally in an accident this morning, that morning and it's chaos. Bikes everywhere. And I can tell my dad is just like tense because he's, he, he's having to worry and care for so many people in the congregation as this, this church gets out. So <laughs> he locks, how does he do it? He locks the front gate. We had like two gates and two doors. Anyway, he locks the front and he tells me like tiny little kid in the, in front of the front doors on main street. And this was just totally my dad raising me up to be a man. He, he puts me in front of the doors that aren't locked. He locked the gate and then he's going to walk around to the, through the back alley by himself, lock the, the back gate, lock the back doors, and come back around. And he, his, this is what my dad being stern was his finger in your face. And he looks me square in the eyes, put his, puts his finger in my nose. And he's like, nobody walks in those doors. And that's all he says. And he walks away. And so like, I'm little kid, like standing there, like in my little suit, standing in front of the doors, like I'm going to like stop these guys whatever. And so he walks around, he's gone. And then he comes back to the front, locks the door. He's like, come on. And so I'm right on his leg and we're walking down the side of the building to just get in our car and go home. And he's so tense, but it's all good. And this guy, big old long beard, leather vest, like chains, like the works, like picture the roughest biker that you've seen. That's this guy. And we're walking towards him. We're like, okay, we're just going to pass him. These guys are everywhere, everywhere. And we're walking past him. I'm literally not thinking anything of it. And right when we go to pass each other, he just goes up to my dad and he goes, boom, and, and pushes my dad. And it happened, it happened all so fast is my dad takes a step back and then they kind of like crash in together and have this like weird, like, like uh, almost like WWE wrestling where like they do that headlock thing and they, whatever that is. So they like, like they grab each other happens for a second and then they push, push off each other. And my dad grabs me by the back of the shirt and then just keeps walking. And then we walk past each other and I'm just, what in the world? And so my dad like puts me in the, in the car, doesn't say a word to me. We get to the house Still doesn't say a word to me. I go do my thing, play in my room. I don't know what he did. And then eventually he calls me back out. And he explains to me that uh, he first he had to talk with me. He's like, be a man, stand up. You need to take care of the family and take care of our church. And, you know, one of those dad talks. And then he says, that guy who came up and who looked like the worst thing ever, who looked like was going to, yeah, looked like the worst thing ever. That guy was a guy that was, he's a police officer. And he is, it's the hell's angels that are riding through town. And he recognized my dad, his buddy, and my dad couldn't recognize him with all his, his beard and his glasses and his like beanie thing. And so his way of saying hi is he pushed him. And then when they, 
this part cracked me up is that when they were together, they had this like, hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? Really good. Okay, got to go. Boom. And to not give him away that like, hey, man, hey, Rick, what were you doing talking to that pastor? It's just like, all right, pick a fight with this guy. And so they had this sort of like, hey, man, good to see you. Okay, you doing good? Yeah, things are good. I got to get ahead. Okay, bye. And then go. And then my dad grabs me. And all that to say, that's just the story that came to my mind as I was reading through this. All that to say, like, how limited our view is. That's, that's, that we are me as a kid. Like, I can't know that things. And we just, we make these decisions, make decisions in our life that will affect the, the course of our life without consulting the Lord. And the tragedy is, is that's pretty commonplace. But it, it shouldn't be. We should lay everything before the Lord as we really can't see five minutes in front of us. And so we're not equipped to be making these decisions. And here, Lot's making these decisions. And he doesn't know what the future holds for him. And we're going to study it, which is the tragedy. We're going to see, man, with that affluence, with that city, uh, man, he, he encountered tragedy and struggle in that place. And for what? For good grass? For pretty, for pretty land? Um, so we can't trust in our own understanding of, of what we see. As I was saying, we're going to be, I think, seeing Abram on this faith journey. And... The goal is to learn from him. The goal is to learn from someone else's mistakes and someone else's wins so we don't have to go through them himself. And I said, I, I think, as I said, I, I, I can see how Abram's faith is being stretched in letting Lot go. Part of his family veering off and the struggle and, and the uh, discouragement of that regardless. Just somebody peeling away from, you're on this vision, you're, not, you're on this journey, this vision that's given to you by the Lord, and someone peels away, I think any one of us would have struggled with that. And I believe at this moment, again, Scripture doesn't come out and say it, but I think Abram's probably pretty down here. And not knowing what's, uh, what's to come, and I think it's so fitting that here the Lord reiterates it's after Lot leaves and it's when Abram's there and he's alone. And the Lord says, lift up your eyes. That in that discouragement, in the struggle, in the impatience of seeing the end result that you've been promised and like losing faith that what's going on, whatever it may be, the Lord's saying, hey, lift your eyes. Uh, verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. And we see the Lord, uh, this is a lesson that I've been learning um, and it's been blowing me away. I don't know why the faithfulness of the Lord blows me away, but it does. And it tells me that, man, maybe I don't trust him as much as I, like I verbally say I trust him, but then I'm shocked when he comes through. Like, what does that mean? And so I think it's insight into my own inadequacies. But seeing that at probably this, this really low moment, 
the Lord doubles down to him and says, Abram, lift up your eyes and look at the place where you are. So, hey, don't be discouraged and look around. And it's not the prettiest land here, but look northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring. And so again, in my mind, this struggle of seeing Lot, his nephew go, and there's this promise of, hey, the land, I'm taking care of the land and you're going to have offspring. And it, I don't know if Lot, if you thought Lot was the plan. I don't know if you thought Lot was this pseudo offspring that you're going to have. The Lord's doubling down uh, to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length, the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And he built an altar to the Lord. Again, this reoccurring theme of we see Abram building this altar to the Lord, declaring that Yahweh, uh, if you missed it, when you see Lord, all capitals in your Bible, that's proper name of God. That is Yahweh. That is him. That this is, this is Yahweh uh, He's God. He's the God of all gods. No Pharaoh, no moon God, no sun God, no, nobody else in the pantheons of, pantheon of gods is God. It's the Lord is God. And he's, he's worshiping him. And how fitting and faithful of the Lord that in discouragement, the Lord gives us encouragement when we need it. And only he even knows that. Knowing how much we can bear and knowing when we're at our wit's end and when we need encouragement. Uh, it's, I mean, the past five years, I don't mean a lot of you know, but uh, the last five, year, five years of my life has, have felt like just battle, 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 battle. And what's been blowing me away literally as of like the last two weeks is I've been getting random texts from people I've never gotten texts before, some of them, at the most insane times in a day where no one knows it. Not even my wife knows it. It'll be a time where I'm in my own head and struggling over something. And then a congregant from here that's never texted me before will, hey, You've been in my heart. I've just been praying for you and this. And I don't know if you guys have experienced that in some way or another. For this, in this season, it's glaring to me. Um, freaky in the best way possible. <laughs> uh, just experiencing that. Um, but I mean, literally, I, I just don't want to go into all of it, but multiple. Um, my wife and I having a, like a long deep, serious conversation after putting the kids to bed one night. Um, can't get into any of that, but suffice to say, it's something that was a conversation that was only me and my wife um, navigating some struggles that had gone, um, that I had gone through in dark places, uh, mostly coming off of when 
my dad passed and uh, something had like re-triggered that recently and um, just crazy. I, like my mind was going everywhere and a congregant, same thing, blew me away. The thing that triggered me, a congregant called me and said, hey, this thing, I heard about this thing and it makes me think of you. Are you okay? And I've never verbalized this thing to anybody but my wife. And it just, uh, literally talking to them, it brought me to tears because I was just like, and I told them, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional, but like, this is freaking me out. Uh, I think I'm okay, but maybe I'm not. And like that type thing. But it's the faithfulness of the Lord. And one, it's the faithfulness of the Lord. And so trust in him. And I'm, man, I, I'm teaching to myself so much right now because I have to walk this out the second we leave here is the faithfulness in him that no matter what you're navigating, that you leave it to him and he's going to work things out. Pursue him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. He's going to work all this other stuff out. He's going to work it out. So trust him. And then two, the call to us as believers is these heroes in my life recently, that's us being the church to where we are all throughout scripture. Yeah, we're unpacking times where the Lord, like with the plagues, the Lord just intervenes and miraculously intervenes on his own with his own power, fully capable, fully possible, and fully within. He can do whatever he wants. But we also see through scripture, the lion's share of times, the Lord works through people and we're his people. And so you guys will often hear me say, well, like with these prayer requests, my prayer is my mindset going into a prayer request is laying it before the Lord as he's the one who's going to fix it, intervene. But then also knowing that I could very well be the vehicle that he wants to answer this prayer request through and not just pray, God, take it. Now I'm going to go and just live my merry life and not worry about someone's like, I need a place to stay. And I have an open room and I say, Lord, would you provide a place for them to stay? And then I go and just live my life with an empty room, right? No, it's Lord, would you provide a place for them to stay? Yes, I've provided you a place with an extra room. Oh, yeah, I'm the vehicle that you're going to answer that prayer. And I see that in these people that are doing that for me and not even realizing they're doing it for me. And so I would encourage you and I've been challenged that these inklings that the Lord drops on us, um, pursue them because you could be the vehicle by which to you. And I can tell in all these text messages and all these, these ways that the Lord has encouraged me lately, I can tell these people feel like they're doing nothing like, Hey, just thought, just thinking of you thought I'd let you know I'm praying for you in this. And I have to tell them like, you have no idea what you just did, but praise the Lord for you. I love you. Thank you so much. Um, and so don't take your role lightly. We're those people. Those are our brothers and sisters. And so if you have this inkling that we can be that vehicle by which we encourage someone whose faith is being stretched, it's probably really being stretched and you can come along and be 
Jesus, the reflection of the Lord to them, whereas Abram at his a low point here, um, people are peeling away from this vision and the Lord doubles down. Hey, lift up your eyes. I'm still doing what I told you I'm going to do. I'm, gonna, I'm remaining faithful. We're going to see this through and encourages him. And so we can do that for our brothers and sisters who are navigating this life and their struggles and we can lift them up and encourage them. And if you're in that spot, uh, for one, if you're not in that spot, get ready because you will be. This life is full of trial and tribulation and struggle. But know that when you enter into that, that it's not, the Lord didn't just let go of the wheel, that he's still in control. You just don't see the end and he's going to work it out. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things uh, will be added to you. I want to leave you with, uh, we all know this verse. And I've used it before in this study, but it's really fitting. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. So lean on him completely, 100% with all your heart, with everything. And don't trust in your own understanding. So when your understanding tells you to bail, when your understanding tells you to give up, when your understanding tells you to, to fight back, when your understanding tells you to, to repay, when your understanding tells you all these different things, don't trust in your own understanding. You don't know a lot. I don't know a lot. So don't trust it. We don't know as much as we think we know. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So when your understanding's telling you is panicking and telling you to hit the panic button and the world is falling apart and your understanding can't grasp. And so it's just looking for, you're drowning and you're just looking for that lifeline. When your understanding is doing that, acknowledge him and he's going to direct your path. He's going to make the path straight. So look to him as you're panicking. He's going to maybe not spell everything out for you, but lean on him. And as we lean on him, we're leaning against a, a firm foundation. We're leaning against something true. And though we may not know how it's going to end up, we know that he's going to direct our path. That's, that's the promise. And even not knowing, the leaning on him, we find peace and we find comfort and we find uh, the strength as he empowers us to navigate difficult times gracefully and to walk through them gracefully, to suffer well as people.